Hello and welcome to XR Connections, a podcast about extended reality, augmented reality, virtual reality, and mixed reality. Today, we have an interview with Kevin Williams. Kevin is a leading specialist in digital out-of-home entertainment. In this episode, he discusses recent trends and developments in location-based experiences focusing on virtual reality and next-generation mixed reality, cross-reality, attractions, rides, and games. In Kevin's sector, cross-reality, XR, has a specific meaning as it relates to location-based entertainment or out-of-home entertainment. So cross-reality, XR, is the marriage of multiple disciplines and technologies to create an immersive environment that is borderless. This includes, to some extent, arena-scale VR. In episode 6, we discussed Charlie Fink's definition of free-roam VR, and I will read that once again. Free Roam VR allows users to walk around inside a virtual world as they would in the real world, wearing a backpack PC and a VR head-mounted display. Inside-out tracking allows participants to see their real hands as virtual hands in the digital world. Some Free Roam VR attractions deepen the illusion with props and sensory elements like heat, wind, and smells. Many believe this is the only true form of VR, and it's coming to malls, theme parks, and other public spaces around the world. Kevin Williams is just the expert to give us an overview of what's happening with mixed reality, augmented reality, and virtual reality in public places. In this discussion, he goes through motion simulators to arena-scale VR, and he really brings us a unique perspective on virtual reality and cross-reality and details the challenges of location-based VR, including health and hygiene factors, ease of use of the equipment, and the wait times and guest boarding experiences. Kevin provides us with a lot of examples He gives recommendations of things you can try. He recommends trade publications and internet resources. Throughout the course of the discussion, Kevin mentions a number of theme parks, of movie IP, of game manufacturers, of headset and other technology manufacturers. All of those are included in the show notes. It should also be mentioned that Kevin has a book on the immersive technology future that is available on Amazon right now. He's in the course of writing the second edition, but there is a link to the book on the show notes. And also, I must give my thanks to Kevin for avoiding jargon. We are talking here about out of home. You will see that as O-O-H. Location-based experience, you'll see that as LBE. 
And you will even see LBVR for location-based VR. So thank you, Kevin, for avoiding the jargon and the acronyms. In the course of the discussion, Kevin did mention, in regards to theme parks, the dark ride. And while I thought I knew what he was talking about, I looked that up. A dark ride is defined as a dark ride or ghost train is an indoor amusement ride on which passengers aboard guided vehicles travel through specially lit scenes that typically contain animation, sound, music, and special effects. Kevin is bringing these up because mixed reality is the future of these types of attractions. So with that, here is Kevin Williams of KWP Limited calling in from Orlando from a trade show where he is exploring new developments in XR, VR, and AR and out-of-home experiences. Hello. So Kevin Williams is here from Orlando where he is at a conference. Kevin is with KWP Limited and one of my previous guests, Anthony Vitillo, turned me on to Kevin as an expert in location-based experiences. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you. Great to be here. Thank you so much for joining us. This is uh, such an interesting topic of what's going on in location-based experiences, Kevin. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved with VR, XR, either personally or professionally, and where that's led you to to now being at a conference on this uh, very topic? So I, I come from a, a background in the video game industry. I started back in the 80s, uh, but I've always sort of focused on the out-of-home entertainment application, so I was a big fan of the arcade sector. I then got sucked into um, the explosion in 3D graphics for deployment in that market and ended up at a, a flight simulation, military simulation company, Hughes Rediffusion, and that was uh, the first time I actually got my head in a virtual reality helmet back in uh, 1989. And I, I've always had a love affair with immersive entertainment. And I, uh, when I set up the consultancy after working with Disney as an Imagineer and working with other companies, the consultancy just started to focus wholly on immersive entertainment. And I've followed the trend avidly ever since so for out of home entertainment i remember the things that you would see at museums the simulators like a flight simulator or a roller coaster they have them at theme parks and uh, as you say arcades bowling alleys what are some of the changes that you've seen since you would see these things at say a mall so many of your listeners will be familiar with the most uh, uh, influential flight simulator theme park attraction and that's star tours the disney star wars experience and funny enough the company that i used to work for hughes rediffusion made the uh, the system that uh, that was based on it was based on a jumbo jet uh, flight simulator from there the technology has uh, moved on into you know three different directions we have the immersive simulators where you jump in and either controlling a formula one 
car or a rally car or you're uh, in control of a jet fighter. We also uh, have now the virtual reality uh, systems that uh, use head-mounted displays linked to motion bases. We just had the launch here at Orlando of a brand new system from a very well-known company. And now we're looking at the next generation kinds of systems in that uh, ilk where they're incorporating esports competitions and their networks together. You know, it's so there's the simulators, there's the immersive uh, entertainment systems, the VR systems, and now we've got the mixed uh, mixed reality and the cross reality systems on the horizon here. Where do you see the mixed reality? I think that's a very interesting development that's going on. So we've had virtual reality uh, systems. This is the second time in the outer home entertainment sector that we've uh, deployed VR, you know, the headset systems into our market. The first time back in the 90s, it was well received, but the technology wasn't capable. Now, uh, we are very lucky that we've had uh, four or five years of deployment of the latest VR systems and you know, they've really got traction, really making a difference. But one of the things that you have to understand with the, uh, the theme park and the entertainment market is that we're always striving for technology that makes the uh, experience for the guests effortless. And so we're now at a point where we're looking at non-intrusive immersive display technology and so we've got the first of the cross reality platforms and companies in japan and china and america and europe are developing systems that either use augmented reality mirrored to 3d projection mapping or use the latest 3d projection map systems to create digital immersive environments that you navigate through and so how we define in our sector cross-reality or XR is the the marriage of multiple disciplines, multiple technologies to create an immersive environment that is uh, borderless, that, uh, that has really no limitations of backpack PCs or cables or head-mounted displays, but literally drops the individual into an immersive environment. Are there examples of that kind of experience out there now? Are they still in development? Is that a dream or is it reality right now? We, we have examples of multiple applications of this. So um, a couple of years ago, Disney created uh, the Goofy Splat House experience. It was one of the first 3D projection mapped uh, theme park attractions. We have uh, companies like Triotech, that are developing theme park attractions that use uh, hand tracking as well as uh, projection mapping. So you're moving through a projected environment, shooting fireballs from your hands with their Lego Ninjaro. Uh, and we have companies in Japan, such as Capcom, who have developed uh, ghost experiences where you have uh, projected environments, but using augmented reality guns to capture ghosts. So we're on the periphery uh, of this kind of application, but a lot of the, the funding at the moment is going into deploying the more conventional VR systems uh, and also looking at the next generation AR systems. So from most people's uh, perceptions, we have uh, three types of deployment of virtual reality in the outer home entertainment market. We have the standalone machines, such as the Beat Saber uh, experiences from companies like VR Arsenal, or we have 
the driving simulators that have just been launched uh, uh, by our friends at Hollergate, uh, who have also very famous for their stand-up uh, tethered four-player VR experiences. Uh, and then there's the next generation from that, which is some key people call location-based entertainment uh, centers, which are dedicated to offering arena-scale VR. So some companies call this free-roaming, uh, some companies call this hyper-reality, but fundamentally what you're doing is a group of you are putting on backpack PCs, head-mounted displays, track systems, and you're navigating and moving and immersing yourself in a digital environment. The Void is very famous for this, uh, partly due to their partnership with Lucasfilms and Disney, but they've also partnered with Sony to create 15-minute and 30-minute uh, uh, experiences based on these popular films such as Wreck-It Ralph, Star Wars, Ghostbusters, Jumanji is their latest one, and they've uh, just done a Avengers experience. But we also have other companies such as Dreamscape, who have opened two facilities that uh, allow you to navigate through their experiences. And then we have a, a newcomer that's received a very large amount of investment from the community called Sandbox VR. And uh, they also have licensed content and they have just released a Star Trek Discovery virtual experience. But these, these systems fundamentally uh, offer the same uh, approach, which is allowing the individual to jump into a intellectual property movie-based environment then you know we have on the horizon location-based entertainment experiences based on men in black uh, we have uh, them also planned for mission impossible on the show floor we uh, have a, a company that's taken the more traditional tethered vr entertainment system a company called minority media and they've developed a uh, experience based on the transformers uh, film ip so you're seeing movie experiences dropped into uh, arena-scale VR entertainment to create what many people see as the, the next level of audience engagement. So, Kevin, you mentioned you're in Orlando. You're at the conference. Of course, when I think of Orlando, I think of Disney World and Universal. It's funny when you were talking about Disney I got a flashback to when I was, I don't know, it must have been 20 years ago, uh, being at what was then, I think they called it the, the MGM experience at Disney. But in any case, they had a theater where you saw the Muppets, and it was a 3D yep. experience. And it was the most incredible 3D I had, I had seen to that time. So Disney, of course, is always ahead of the game, very imaginative in, in what they're doing. And when you're talking about movie IP and these experiences, it just leads me to what are they doing at Disney? What's going on with Harry Potter and at Universal? And could you tell us what the conference is and what are some of the trends that you're seeing? My pleasure. Thank you. So uh, I'm here at the theme park uh, and attraction industry's largest uh, convention called IALPA, run by the Trade Association. It uh, covers a vast amount of uh, the uh, South and North Halls here at uh, uh, the Orlando uh, uh, Convention Center. And it has everything from cotton candy to inflatables to virtual reality. Okay. Um, it's it's a real painful four days uh, 
walking nearly nine miles every day to cover the show floor. From the theme park industry's perspective, interactive attractions for large groups have uh, dominated the market. So we have seen, as I mentioned earlier, the Ninjaro kind of experience where interactivity has moved into a dark ride. And we've seen companies like Sally, who develop a very popular dark ride experiences, now including a lot more shooting and a lot more interactivity. So those are the trends in the big theme park uh, experiences. Uh, Disney, obviously, is working very hard to launch the second uh, attraction to their Galaxy's Edge Star Wars experience. And uh, that second attraction will be a trackless uh, people mover experience, not interactive, but using some of the latest uh, of the projection maps and uh, high-level projection systems mirrored with animatronics, um, Mm -hmm. robotic characters that are linked into the ride. I had the pleasure of uh, presenting at the uh, VR session uh, that was held uh, on the Thursday here at the show. Uh, Well-attended event, even though it was early in the morning, because that technology seems to be the zeitgeist for many operators. You have to understand that not all the people here at the show are big theme parks or big water parks. We also have family entertainment center operators here. We have small entertainment facility operators here. And we also have companies from other walks of the entertainment scene, such as the hospitality side and the retail attainment side. But what we're seeing on the trends, VR seems to be the zeitgeist that everybody is uh, really delving into. And we have the the key products that are, are really generating interest. So we have the tethered enclosure systems uh, that I mentioned earlier. And, you know, one of the leaders in that development is Hologate. We have the simulators, VR simulators, and one of the leaders of the charge in that is LAI with their Virtual Rabbids two-seater machine, which they've developed in partnership with Ubisoft and D-Box. And so we're seeing companies emulating the success that they've seen from those two approaches. And then we have the arena scale, and we have a lot of arena scale systems here. People putting on backpack systems in groups of four and six and uh, navigating around uh, enclosed arenas, uh, either blasting zombies or uh, solving puzzles. And Mm. nice things that we've got launching in the industry at the moment are virtual reality escape rooms. So the popularity of this, the escape room, uh, physical escape room experience is now being traversed into uh, virtual reality. They're proving very compelling. The the trends, uh, however, are leading us to to look towards much more uh, immersion uh, with less cables and and also more cost-effective. And so we've seen the first of the standalone, uh, non-tethered, non-backpack VR experiences. So companies such as Spree uh, Interactive have launched a... uh, wireless, uh, simple standalone VR experience for multiple players aimed at a young audience that uh, uses the the Pico standalone VR headset. But we also have companies like Vex that have launched their own uh, standalone VR experiences, no backpacks. They do both backpacks and no backpacks, and they're using the Oculus Quest in their uh, 
uh, applications. And there are other companies out there that are looking at these standalone VR experiences as a cost-effective alternative to the more expensive, but also the more immersive backpack PC uh, alternatives. Thank you, Kevin. We're talking about here families that are going through these experiences using equipment. I think you've also mentioned that one of the big things, especially in the theme parks, is that this is easy. It's very easy for people to get get into and, and out of. If you could quickly address the health and, and safety issues that go around with this and using this type of equipment and, and taking these kinds of experiences. So the, the outer home entertainment industry is familiar with the issues of hygiene, uh, regarding uh, head-mounted uh, devices. Our, our industry has uh, had guests using uh, large 3D glasses back in the 90s. Uh, we, you know, we have to worry about the cleaning and the uh, operation of uh, gla uh, glass 3D systems in the market. And so head-mounted displays have to fulfill the requirements of our industry. We're putting thousands of people through these systems and they need to be clean, they need to be robust, able to take the knocks and the bashes, and they need to be uh, able to uh, offer a level of reliability uh, that's needed when you have hundreds of thousands of people over a year going through that. From our industry's point of view, we've had an issue. We're taking fundamentally consumer-based head-mounted display VR technology and deploying it in one of the most harsh crucibles of uh, application uh, the entertainment sector. And so we've had to make changes. If you come to our industry, you will see that there is a predominance of HTC Vive headsets compared to any other manufacturer. We do have companies such as uh, Pico, we do have companies such as Oculus, and even Samsung uh, deploying VR headsets into this uh, market. We even have companies now using the uh, Valve Index, but all of them have to modify or make allowances for these systems to be suitable to be cleaned, to be stored, and to be strong enough for our needs. And uh, a great example of this is a company called Dreamcast, who have developed a special two-part system. You have a liner that you put on your head first, and then you connect a Vive display system to the front of uh, that uh, liner, so that it allows a very simple operation. It speeds up the onboarding process, a phrase you'll hear a lot in our industry. Onboarding meaning the putting the guest from the queue line into the attraction and then into the experience. So that, that's really uh, one of the, uh, the developments that we're seeing now, that we're taking the original consumer VR headset systems and now making them more robust for our market. The... The, the arguments that we have in our sector about how we utilize this technology is still ongoing. We're still in early days, even though we've had uh, six, nearly six years of deploying consumer v, uh, the current phase of consumer VR technology into our market. We're still learning a lot of lessons. And a good example of uh, a lesson learned uh, was uh, the usage of uh, VR in roller coaster experiences. Though a number of companies created some very compelling uh, roller coaster VR systems that use the Gear VR, it proved more and more difficult to come up with a reliable configuration of the system. And also, surprisingly, it impacted the utilization of the roller coaster. 
many people learned the hard way that the time it took to get someone out of the queue line, sit them down in the seat in the roller coaster, hand them the VR headset, get them comfortable with the VR headset on their head, close the restraint systems, check everything was working okay, and then launch them through the ride, slowed down the onboarding process of the roller coaster and actually impacted how many people you could get through. So extending and exaggerating the queue line. So we've seen that kind of deployment of uh, VR roller coasters now move to uh, the back. That said, we're still seeing VR being deployed uh, on ride attractions. And one of the things launched at the show here is a company called Spree Interactive has partnered with a very well-known bumper car company to create one of the first virtual reality bumper car experiences to be deployed in the market. So we're still playing around with the technology and how it works in our sector. But a lot of what we're doing and a lot of what you see consultancies such as myself, we're working with clients to try and come up with the best application of VR, uh, AR, XR into the market. So try to beat those technologists to make the best systems for our audiences. So, Kevin, on that note, can you tell us what you think, in just your opinion, what are the best experiences out there right now that people can see in either their trip to a theme park or to one of these location-based experiences or maybe even at the local bowling alley? I would point uh, a lot of your listeners to being able to try the three uh, the keystones of our sector. So the standalone uh, immersive entertainment systems uh, that you'll find at your local entertainment sites, the ability to try a location-based entertainment backpack VR experience, and maybe one of the uh, the mixed reality theme park attractions. For me, uh, one of the best immersive attractions in the market is the Avatar experience here at uh, Orlando, which is fundamentally a uh, a passive ride experience using a very immersive digital display uh, traveling around the uh, Avatar universe. But it is done in such a way with such skill by the uh, Walt Disney Imagineers that it, it is just uh, mind-blowing. And, and the nice thing about it uh, is that it drops you into the experience and it uses all of the tricks of the 4D immersive theater, everything from smell to spray mm to motion, to 3D, uh, 3D visuals. From the virtual reality point of view, I, I would recommend that uh, your listeners should try the, the Hologate technology. Uh, they should also try some of the other uh, tethered VR experiences that are out there. There, there are some really new game brands. Uh, Hologate just launched Angry Birds. But as, as I was saying earlier, our friends at Minority Media have also developed their own smaller version of that uh, kind of system that has been launched with the Transformers. Again, the passive simulators, the Virtual Rabbids system is very popular and uh, you should be able to find that uh, big yellow motion simulator for two players in virtual reality in many venues across the country. And then... The ability to go and do something like The Void or to do Dreamscape or to do Sandbox VR is essential, especially if you're a big movie buff fan, uh, being able to wrap yourself in the movie universe and actually play a part in these experiences 
is quite compelling. But there's so much to offer. It's very hard for me to pick one particular company or one particular product. Though, uh, if you want to keep up with uh, the developments in our sector, then we can uh, put you onto the newsletter that we supply to the market. Uh, and that will give you a heads up of the kind of things that are going on. Thank you, Kevin, for those recommendations. And please tell us a little more of the services that you provide, how people can get in touch with you, and any other resources. As I mentioned, uh, Anthony Vitillo had recommended that I get in touch with you. And that's what the podcast is all about, is people who are sharing insights and information and advice you can recommend and any other sources of information on this where you get some of your information your reliable sources that would be very helpful well thank you for that the just so your listeners understand who we are kwp is a uh, consultancy that works with developers of immersive entertainment te uh, technology for the outer home sector we also work with companies that operate facilities and want to have the latest technology and applications in their facilities. And we work with investors that put money into these, uh, these kinds of operations. I also run something called the Stinger Report that's been going for the last 25 years. And that is a, a newsletter, kind of blog newsletter opinion piece, scurrilous, that goes into way too much detail about the developments of immersive entertainment across the international market. And to get your hands on that, we we have a way of you emailing us and uh, I will include uh, links uh, to, uh, to the uh, the sites where you can uh, jump onto the subscription list of that or send me information. Uh, but I do a lot of writing on the, the technology and the media in the trade journals, but also I've started to do writing for some of the uh, consumer news portals and uh, I've done articles in the past for Road to VR uh, and uh, to Upload VR, and now I've started a regular column with uh, the guys at VR Focus, which is uh, uh, one of the leading uh, VR consumer uh, news portals, and uh, hopefully those articles uh, will give a, a snapshot to the consumer audience of what's going on in the commercial entertainment sector. Um, regarding our industry, you know, many of our trade publications uh, go into much more detail than I think the average consumer would need. But, you know, I get my details from trade publications such as uh, Intergame. And also we work and write articles for them specifically covering the uh, deployment of technology and trends. We also have a number of very important theme park conferences where ideas and new technology are shared and here in america we've just had ialpa uh, its last day today uh, in a couple of weeks time uh, in, in 2020 in january we will be having the big european uh, show in london uh, eag where a, a large number of the, uh, the trends in the technology will be on show there and then we will be running in march to america for amusement expo where again, uh, a number of dedicated conferences and sessions will be covering the deployment of both XR as well as VR and AR into the scene. And uh, hopefully you will be surprised uh, at CES this year, at the beginning of January, uh, you'll be seeing a, a number of major announcements from 
consumer hardware manufacturers where they uh, will announce their entrance in supplying hardware and technology into the location-based entertainment sector. But I, I don't want to get too too far ahead of us. But obviously, if anyone has any questions or needs any information about getting into the market, it's really easy to chase me down on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on Twitter, or just uh, email me directly at kwp at thestingerreport.com. Uh, and I'll do whatever I can uh, to help uh, help you get a better understanding of what we do in this sector. Thank you so much, Kevin. I think you've given us a great introduction to what you're doing in the sector and what's going on in the sector. Thank you so much, Kevin. I appreciate it. What are your plans? How long are you in Orlando? And where's home, Kevin? Home for me is London, but I don't get to see it as much uh, as I would like because uh, I'm. Yeah, it's been a very rough 2019 for us we've been incredibly busy so i shouldn't be complaining uh, i i should be sharing the fact but uh, i'm foot sore and uh, uh, jet lagged beyond belief and what happens next for me is i'm having a semi-quiet december uh, where we're going to be sitting down and working on the final version of the manuscript uh, the manuscript that we've been working on for the second book so uh, in uh, 2014, we launched the first book, The Immersive Frontier, that kind of gathered all of the leading developments in immersive entertainment uh, and put them in a book with interviews with some of the leading lights. We've been working this year in gathering more of the information together with my co-author, Michael Marciani, and we will be uh, working towards uh, the final manuscript at the end of the year to launch the next book for 2020. So again, if individuals wanted to jump in to the deep end on uh, the use of immersive technology across all aspects of the commercial entertainment sector, then the second book in that series will be uh, hitting the shelves in the beginning of 2020. And then hopefully uh, I'll be able to get some rest and then start uh, what looks like uh, is going to be an even bigger and more uh, adventurous 2020 with the London show, the American shows, and also visits to the Japanese amusement trade shows at the beginning of the year. Fantastic. That is very exciting about the new edition of the book, Kevin. Can we get that book online, first edition? So the original book, I'll give you a link to the uh, Amazon uh, version of that and as soon as we have uh, details on the publisher for the, the 2020 edition, we'll make sure we share that with you guys. Fantastic. And that's the Immersive Frontier. The Immersive Leisure Frontier. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Kevin. You've been so informative. Really appreciate it. Best of luck today. You're going back into the show today? Yes, I'm about to uh, put on uh, some swimming trunks because of going to get my chance to try the first ever swimming pool-based virtual reality system. Oh, my goodness. Okay. We will be following you then on Facebook and LinkedIn and eagerly awaiting your report on the first immersive swimming experience. Yeah, the guys at Ballistic are going to uh, dunk me in their pool outside, so it would be interesting to see how that goes. You're going to put that on YouTube, I hope. Oh, definitely. Okay. Thank you, Kevin. Enjoy your dip and the rest of the show. And good luck with the book. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting us. Congratulations with what you're achieving with your podcast. 
And uh, I wish all of your listeners a really good day. So there you have it. Thank you to Kevin Williams for that fantastic introduction to what's going on in out-of-home and location-based experiences in AR, VR, and increasingly in mixed reality, or as they call it in their sector, cross-reality. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, rate the show, but more importantly, tell someone that you think might be interested in it. I'd love to hear your feedback. For the show notes, you get the most detailed show notes with links to everything that is mentioned on the Mars and Mercury website. That's marsandmercury.com. Mars and Mercury, like the deities, go to the podcast page and you will see the podcast description of the episode and then all of the links. And that has everyone that anyone mentions, their Twitter accounts, LinkedIn, examples to demos, pretty much everything that is mentioned in the episodes goes on to those show notes. As the idea here, as I've mentioned before, is to highlight people who are sharing information and insight about XR. And every episode that I do, I learn more and I find out about more people who are sharing valuable information. And in fact, this episode wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been turned on to Anthony Vitillo. So thank you, Anthony. As far as the housekeeping goes, this episode was recorded with a scarlet microphone going through the focus right. We use Logic Pro X. Use Anchor for the publishing. And we use Skype to record the phone call. Reach out to me, Liam O'Malley. I'm your host. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn or Twitter or send me an email, liam at marsandmercury.com. You can write about XR or AR or even the kinks. Thank you for listening. The music is by Dr. Mars. Thank you. Thank you.